Welcome to the Farming Matters Conference brought to you by Land to Market Australia, the co-op that verifies on-farm ecological improvement. I'm Rebecca Gorman, a member of the co-op and conference MC. The conference had a really great collaborative energy and brought together farmers, business leaders and academics to discuss the benefits of regenerative agriculture and its potential to provide solutions to global challenges. The four sessions explored a wide range of topics, which we hope provide fuel for your farming journey. Afternoon, everybody. It's um, a really passionate, passionate couple of days for, uh, for people, which is fantastic. What we're hearing and learning, well, the, the Maloon Institute is a not-for-profit organisation um, and we're doing landscape scale rehydration uh, and repair. We do research, um, we educate uh, and we advocate and we're making some inroads into that uh, through advocacy, uh, back up what Louisa just said as well, you can actually get some change. You know, we had the Deputy Prime Minister standing in front of a camera saying this should be rolled out right across the country. So what are we using? All of our things as we go around saying that uh, this work should be being rolled out out of the country. Well, the Deputy Prime Minister said so. There is some movement in, in that area, despite what some people might say. Still much more to do. Our work combined with um, regenerative practices is really having a very positive impact on climate change as well. We're fixing the water cycle in the rehydration repair work we do, and it's a water cycle which is a repaired water cycle which can, uh, which can cool the planet. It's creating so much more resilience uh, for farmers. It's a proactive way of dealing with drought, but not only drought, flood and bushfires. We have examples from the 2019-20 uh, bushfires where fires stopped when they got to hydrated uh, areas, where there were intact uh, areas that hadn't been degraded over the last couple of hundred years where literally the, the bushfires pulled up. So the same work in taking the energy out of the water, slowing it up, uh, getting it back into uh, uh, the landscape is great for drought resilience. It's great for flood, the floods we've seen in this last week. If the catchments further up, the, uh, the catchments that flowed were being repaired uh, and rehydrated and the soils uh, improved, <laughs> they'd be holding so much more water and we wouldn't have anywhere near the level of, of flooding. Uh, our advocacy is resulting in policy change, particularly uh, with respect to regulations that uh, are currently there, which really restricts our work. But we are, we are getting very positive feedback, particularly in New South Wales, where some specific legislation effectively restricts quite substantially the work we want to do. And we're working now in various parts of the country, so different catchments, different uh, agricultural enterprises, North Queensland, uh, West Australia, various parts of New South Wales, also down in, into Victoria. Our work and the response that uh, it's doing to climate change won an award a couple of weeks ago, the 2020 Susta Sustainable Communities Award for Response to Climate Change, so others are taking notice. And um, our work is on our own farms, which were bequeathed to us by our our founder, Tony Coote, when he passed away, he wanted to see this work go on in perpetuity and uh, they're a working farm and in fact we were the uh, very relevant to this conference, uh, our Maloon Creek Natural Farms 
uh, we're the very first farm in Australia to receive uh, EOV uh, certification, which we're very proud of. Thanks. I'd like to welcome Harry Youngman to the stage. Thank you, Gra, very much. And hello to everyone. And uh, what I was given the brief to talk about was the journey that has led to the establishment of the Tivit and Ag Impact Fund. And uh, it's multifaceted, so I'll get started. And we're going to work through the origins about how the fund works, what our ethos is, what we see as the enablers, and some of the next steps for, for our fund. So the origins, uh, the funds come together as a joining of my partner Nigel Sharp and I. We've been in business doing different transactions probably over 20 years and we didn't ever sit down and write a, a business plan. We uh, just come together and have a very, very special relationship and understanding of both of our attributes and they are very different and that's probably the key to the success of, of our partnership. So I'll talk about where I come from <clears throat> and then I'll talk about where Nigel comes from and, and his wonderful foresight in establishing the fund. So I come from southwest Victoria. Our family property is uh, called Art Garden. It runs about 60,000 DSEs and back in 2003-04 we put in, I was very eager to learn about the investment in fences and water, in wire and water because we did exactly that. We went to New Zealand to a course with Harry Weir uh, and implemented about 560 hectares of techno-grazing system. And I was equally uh, interested because we said to all and sundry that were, were deep critics of what we were doing that we were growing about 25% more grass and uh, we were hitting all our production numbers, etc, etc. And I was fascinated to see that 26% was the number that popped out today from intensification. We also have uh, about 192 hectares of forestry it was at the start of the uh, eucalyptus globulus days and so I put them all in as, as very large shelter belts with the thinking that if the bluegum industry died I'd still have some wonderful shelter belts. So we, and they've, they've actually uh, performed incredibly well and have been, although they are a monoculture, they've uh, achieved everything that we wanted financially and from a shelter point of view. Um, we're about 70% prime lambs and 30% beef cattle. My interest in soil health started around about 2003, 2004 when I started getting a bit jaundiced with the diminishing um, returns and the increased flat weeds and all the sorts of things that we know are wrong not only from fertiliser protocols but grazing protocols as well. So I started about 2008, did a trial with uh, compost and over four years, between 08 and 12, I did an enormous amount of plant tissue tests, sap tests, uh, microbiological tests using uh, the DNA services uh, from Ash Martin over in Adelaide. And 2012, I decided that I'd move forward and buy a compost turner, um, change the way we were grazing. One of, one of the benefits of the techno system, we used an Argentinian grazing consultant and he came out of the dairy industry, so it was all about two and a half leaf back to half a leaf. And so, ironically, that works so well with native grasses, herbs and forbs, which I'll talk about in a minute. So the compost system went in. We ended up making between eight and 10,000 tonnes of compost each year, which I couldn't buy, and I started using it across uh, Art Garden and another property of similar scale, which we're, which we're involved in. And that took our soil organic matter 
um, be very clear on that one. Soil organic matter from about 3.5% to about 7.2, low sevens today. And that, that happened within about uh, an eight year period. So we really did shift the needle and we shift the needle incredibly on the uh, microbiological score. Uh, it was absolutely spectacular. So that's sort of a little bit of my background of where I come from. It is high, it was high input and it still is high input grazing, rest and relief, observing all the protocols. Uh, and we have shifted the needle on soil organic matter slash carbon. And unfortunately I didn't baseline because that was back in about 2008. And I, can't, I think it was Abbott or someone pulled the rug out from underneath that. So I didn't and I've left many, many millions of dollars on the table by not doing it, so I've learnt that lesson and we have baselined in one of the funds farms, which I'll talk about in a minute. So along comes Tiverton, which was a farm Nigel rang me, uh, said I've got this wonderful farm, come down and look over it. I drove around and said, I've got to be honest, Nigel, this is the worst farm I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and uh, he, then we started talking about the value of native grasses, herbs and forbs and where that whole market was coming from because he comes out of an industrial property background in Melbourne but has a passion for um, threatened species rehabilitation in the form of Mount Rothwell. So we drove around the farm again, I said this is the best farm I've ever seen in my life and we bought it straight away together and we started trading and selling native vegetation offsets which is, uh, I presume everyone understands how they work. So I, I got a, a real respect for the, the value that was being put on these offsets and then I made a study of how do we perpetuate them and how do we get them to grow more. So that all came about through our rotational grazing on Tiverton. So we run that at about 5 DSC, so very low stocking rate. But we adhere to relatively strict grazing protocols um, and it works well. And we've actually improved our habitat scores quite significantly. And um, I've just been fascinated learning about C4 grasses and how that all works. and. Um, how really we haven't learnt a whole lot in all our aggressive plant breeding. So Nigel, uh, when the word passion came out before and commitment, so Nigel, uh, as a, uh, he bought Mount Rothwell, which is at the northern end of the um, Yuyangs, um, just north of Geelong, and uh, it had a, a, a feral proof fence around it, so, and, and a whole lot of threatened species, um, brush-tailed wallabies, Eastern barred bandicoot, spotted quolls and tiger quolls. And so we, he's been working for years with the geneticists out of Melbourne University um, to um, develop a breeding program. The breeding program's gone so well there that we're act we actually put a 19 kilometre fence around Tiverton, the farm, and uh, we've just re released the bandicoots in there after four years of hunting the last fox. Um, goodness knows what it cost us to get him. But uh, so we've got, we've, it's, feral, it's feral free and has been for nine months now and we released bandicoots in there uh, just, after, just before Christmas and they're tracking the numbers and things and we expect them to explode. Uh, Annette, uh, so our sister company, Odinata, uh, Annette was on Gardening Australia last Friday night, I don't know if anyone saw it, but she's, she's fantastic and she manages that whole program for us. So sort of the lessons, the lessons that we'd learnt in all of the above uh, spawned Tiverton Ag Impact Fund and it was really on the back of a few very, very progressive investors that, that, that Nigel and I both know who said, guys, we really like what you're doing. 
if you if you wanted to buy another farm, could we could we come in as as uh, partners with you? And so we said, yep, that's great. And then that uh, interest grew really really rapidly. So what that led to is uh, the raising. So Nigel and I raised about hundred million dollars ourselves by passing the hat around, obviously with the right IMs and and. Uh, <laughs> And we put a bit of debt on top of that and bought five assets over the last four years. And there was a strategy behind why and where. So it was all about geographical spread. They definitely had to show um, some remnant vegetation value. And they also had to have, some of the farms had to have water and, no, and some no water. So we kind of, that was our strategy, for better or for worse. So uh, Piccadilly Station is... Uh, fabulous property uh, on the Golden Mile Road just east of Dysart which is north of Emerald and um, uh, I won't go through all farms then but it's uh, <laughs> it, it, we were talking about the CECs before and so it's one of the highest CEC farms I've ever seen in Australia it's about 50 CEC and soil that you can push a probe a metre into the ground at the height of summer so we're off to a flying start there and, and we're, we're changing the way we do things, we've only had it three years We've got uh, uh, an interesting property in pastoral New South Wales on the confluence of the um, Lachlan and Murrumbidgee River called Juanbung, or we call it the Great Cumbung. We own that 50-50 with the Nature Conservancy. And then we've got two intensive hort businesses. One's a, a stone fruit business at Cobram, about 340-odd hectares of trees, and a table grape farm at Redcliffs. And then we've got Narana Park, which we've just put 1,000 hectares of olives on, and it and we crop about 3,400 hectares of dry land. And we've also got other uh, lateral moves that we've put there. Um, so that's the sort of spread. We've had quite considerable capital gain, as, is, as has everyone in the last two years, so uh, tick there. And um, we're learning and building our team, which has taken quite a lot of time to get right, but we're owning and operating each of the farms. The vision is, is that we're enriching the land on behalf of our investors and ourselves. It took visionary impact investors to come in to the fund to get it started. It takes a very skilled team to... It's all very well to do things on your own farm, under your own control, but it's, it's more difficult to get that message out to have full mental buy-in with all of your staff. We've got a really simple uh, seven C's impact framework. Um, it's taken from the seven C's of the world. It's a bit of a play on words. Uh, again, I won't go into each of those. And our focus is, is on biodiversity recovery for, for natural capital purposes. We've got long-term measurement built into the business case, removing barriers to entry, i.e. We've, we've entered into a, um, a carbon sequestration program under the ERF and we've, we're very happy to share that knowledge gained with how do you build carbon at scale in a dryland cropping operation. And so we'll be having field days and things like that. That's one of the charters of the fund is that we, we we want to share the information and spread the word. Soil, quite obviously, it's been my passion for a very, very long time, um, and we view it as a really, really major part of our natural capital. There's some just a, a quick chromatography between July last year. We, we've we've sort of morphed through compost, and now we're using a liquid biofert program where we're ma manufacturing our own product through a um, anaerobic biodigestion program. Uh, and that's working incredibly well. Our agronomist was at our table grape farm last Wednesday and he was eating grapes that, that, that had been picked 
uh, sorry, left behind two weeks earlier, so in other words, they didn't even make the grade to go to Japan, uh, and he said it was like eating cashew nuts. Cashew nuts, they were so crunchy, had such uh, vibrancy about them, and they were the ones that we left behind. So we're exporting, unfortunately, none of our grapes end up in the Australian domestic market, 100% go to Japan every night of the week. So the last part of the presentation was really to talk about where do I think it's going in the future, and that's been unbelievably well articulated this morning. Soil carbon sequestration, terrestrial carbon sequestration, building biodiversity and attaching biodiversity to carbon units and selling those as, a, as a, an elevated value or an elevated uh, product. And so we've, we've coined it uh, a natural capital unit. How we, how we take that and get that to market will probably evolve over the next four to six months. We've, we've certainly well down the, the planning path and, and uh, that will come out to the market fairly quickly. The economic value of carbon, uh, again, was very well articulated this morning. So thank you to everyone that did such a fantastic job. And we will be focusing on complementing all of our above ground earnings with soil carbon. And to that end, we're doing lots and lots of inter-row cropping with multi-species. And that's uh, particularly at the Table Grape Farm. The previous owner at the Table Grape Farm was well and truly on his game and had developed that program really well. So we've just picked that up and moved on. And end of story. Thanks, Harry. That was fantastic. So I'll move pretty quickly uh, through the introductions and I was going to go to Chris next. So Chris is the CEO and co-founder of Provener. Um, I spoke to them, I think, about six years ago when they were just starting and sort of looking at sort of where, how did they fund it and do all that. So real interest of mine, spent a lot of time in abattoirs. So I think this is going to be a great talk. I'd like to introduce Chris from Provenal. Thank you. It's Provenier, which is... If we went back and had a, had a think about that, we probably would have got a word that was a bit easier to pronounce, but um, it, it does embody the, the provenance that we do. So I wanted to very briefly talk about pivot points and getting a company off the ground and into commercial reality. And you come across pivot points along that journey. So I'm just going to describe three of those to you very briefly today. The first one was, I remember very clearly, this was right at the very start, we had applied to go into a startup ag tech incubator, which I didn't know what the hell that was, but it basically takes an idea and turns it into a, a, a company. And I can remember us uh, sitting in front of the uh, judging panel as to whether they were going to give us $40,000 and let us into the program. Now, I'm not sure if people are familiar with startup world, but there's a particular model that works really well for someone with an idea and take that further. And that's generally two people, young, no children, have come from a background of rel relative affluence so that they can take their, you know, vow of poverty as they get this idea off the ground. And that they've got a, what's called an MVP or a minimum viable product. So they've actually got a little prototype. So we were sitting in the, uh, in the um, room being judged as to whether we'll go in there, and there was five of us, all well into our 40s, all with uh, children and other incumbences. And um, they said, OK, so what's your idea? And we said, we're going to do Australia's first mobile abattoir. 
And they're like, right, okay, there's a lot of you there. And it's like, yeah, that's, a, that's good. We can share the load. We've got a vet. We've got a barrister. You know, I'm a scientist. We've got a marketer. We've got a chef. You know, we, we've got everything. And they said, yeah, except meat experience. And I went, well, don't worry about that. We'll learn that along the way. Okay, great. So what's your idea? Mobile avatar. Okay, so do you have a model that you can do? And I said, no, it's going to cost a million dollars to build it. And they're like, right, okay. And, you know, can you give people the product? Can you actually give them the, the, a piece of meat that has been processed on the farm? And we said, no, it's illegal. We can't do that. So, uh, right, okay. So there's five of you, all well into years. You're going to cost a million dollars to build this thing and you can't give anyone, a, you know, a, a, an example of the product. And we said, yeah, and it's illegal in Victoria, so we have to change the law there as well. <laughs> so anyway, they went away, and strangely enough, they did actually let us in. And so the learning from that was really about passion. The, the reason that they took a punt on us and put us into the program was that there was five passionate people that were dedicated to see this through. And, and that came through in the interview. So that was our first hurdle that we got into there. And as I mentioned, the, the next pivot point was um, we've spent an extraordinary amount of time with regulators, regulations, laws, lawmakers, every type of bureaucracy that you can actually think. And to that point, I've got a shout out to Phil Larwell, uh, Dr. Phil Larwell, who's in the audience here, who actually started the ball rolling with getting the laws changed in Victoria to allow mobile abattoirs and that was lobbying government for close to seven years and we continued to lobby. It actually got introduced into parliament and was rejected and then it got introduced to parliament again and we actually got that one through. So that was, uh, so we had passion and then there was uh, persistence which is the only way that you can ever get anything changed in there. And the third point that I want to bring into, and, and this is the point right here and now, and for us, that's about partnership. So we can't actually achieve our company's mission of changing the way that red meat is done in Australia without partnerships. So we need to have our partnering farmers, many uh, who are in the audience now, who have taken the belief in what we do. We have our offtake partners like Harris Farm and Barbell as well. And why we were so excited as a meat company to actually be in this room with you farmers is now we need to take regenerative farm product to the masses. That's really how we're going to move the dial on this and make regenerative farming just farming. So, you know, we, we can start to drop the labels of conventional and traditional and regenerative. Our success is when regenerative farming is just called farming. So, thank you. The Farming Matters Conference was brought to you by Land to Market Australia and our ecological outcome verification. Through this verification, we help farmers both improve their land and link them through to consumers. You can join the process easily by going to the Land to Market Australia website. Thanks to all our conference sponsors and speakers, links to their details are provided in the episode show notes. 
To listen to other conference sessions, make sure to subscribe and to see videos of these podcasts, visit the Land to Market YouTube channel. For more information about upcoming events, check out our Facebook or webpage, landtomarket.com.au. I'm Rebecca Gorman. Thanks for listening.